0: Today's episode is brought to you by the athleisure brand Sweaty Betty. Their five-star rated, bum-sculpting power leggings are made to perform for every sport and are crafted to wick away moisture even during the sweatiest of workouts. The high-waist and super stretchy material holds everything in place and supports you through your whole workout. With so many colors and prints, you'll want to wear these from studio to street. Right now, you can try your first pair of power leggings for 20% off when you go to SweatyBetty.com and use the code GLOSSY. Once again, that's SweatyBetty.com using the code GLOSSY. Barneys doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hillary Milnees, and on today's episode, High Snobiety CEO David Fisher discussed the streetwear media company's new commerce play, how you build desirability into a brand, and the next phase of content and commerce. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming in, David. Thanks for having me. So High Snobiety, what was it, as of April, I think, when you guys made that announcement? Um Pivoted to e-commerce. Uh, how how did you get there, and where did you see that opportunity to really build out that that side of the company's business?
1: I mean, we we have been thinking about commerce almost as long as the business exists. Um, ultimately, high-speed idea has always been. Um, you know a curated feed of products uh, and inspiration for people on what to shop next and so you know selling product is kind of close to who we've always been mm-hmm. and so we've also done it on some scale really since the early days so you know there were from a one year anniversary t-shirt to a 10th anniversary series of collaborations where we teamed up with uh, adidas Maikita, Carhartt you know so producing product i mean in many ways you know we're product nerds and passionates and Mm -hmm. and so you know it's almost like you've been standing on the on the sidelines for 14 years and now you actually get to play yeah and so um so yeah so it feels like it's been a long time coming and not so much because i mean obviously you know there's a lot of talk about you know how media expands into commerce or how you can you know open up new revenue lines. But I really do believe that in our case, it was a very natural and organic extension to our business. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it took us quite a while to be in a position to do it properly mm-hmm. or the way we feel it should be done.
0: Yeah, why, why would you say the timing was right?
1: I think the timing was right for for several reasons. I mean, we um, we had brought on an investment partner early last year, Felix Capital. So that obviously opened up a lot of uh, doors for us. Um, you know, they're uh, in many ways experts in the content commerce space, so, so are great partners for us here. And uh, at the same time, of course, the capital is very helpful in allowing us to really move into commerce the right way. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, so we've been working on this now for about 12 to 14 months. Mm-hmm. Um, it meant a lot of things in, lo- in a lot of different areas because we didn't choose to go with a dropship model you know or or you know some some form of an affiliate uh, model either so we're really doing e-commerce mm-hmm. you know we we have a warehouse we uh, you know how do we package this how do we ship it how do we make sure that our american clients and our european clients and our asian clients get the same level of service you know so it, it, it was uh, obviously a much bigger undertaking than we thought. I'm sure. Uh, at the beginning and uh, you know also from a technological side, you know we've we've been a blog for 14 years, mm-hmm. you know now suddenly we have to pay we, we have to deal with payment processing and privacy and all kinds of uh, new new things which are a lot more complicated. Um, technically, than what we've done before, so we, you know we had to expand the team quite a bit as well, mm-hmm. in order to do all these things uh, correctly. But it's been it's been an exciting journey,
0: right? Retail's no simple business. There's a, there's a lot that has to happen Could on the say back that. end. Yeah. Uh, so, can you just describe like the format of your e-commerce play and how you decided that it was right for for high snobiety And you know, it sounded like you didn't just want to like dip in and out and and have it be like a side business. It, it seems like it's going to be a pretty robust Robust, um, you know, retail, uh, you know, arm that you're you're building. So, how did you essentially come to that decision and, and figure out what would be best for the audience that you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we definitely decided first of all to to not make it. A little side gig, you know. So, so we thought, okay, if we're if we want to do it right, it's going to take you know quite some work on the tech side, on you know on many different levels. And if we're going to do all this work, then you know we're not going to do it just to have a little side business here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also because we feel like the opportunity is really there for us to to have a significant second revenue stream next to our advertising and brand partnerships business. Mm-hmm. And. Um, we also spend quite a bit of time, of course, on what format and you know what, uh, you know how we would move into commerce essentially, because we have a lot of retail partners today. We have a lot of brand partners today. All of these guys are doing retail themselves, mm-hmm. so we felt like we needed to move into the market with something that is complementary to what's already there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so we didn't want to compete with uh, with uh, multi brand retailers, and we also didn't want to compete with a brand's uh, direct to consumer strategy. And so, we ultimately decided to go to market with a with a drop based model, uh, where we team up with brands on exclusive releases that are only sold for a short amount of time on our site. Uh, it's a model where we. Uh, more often than not, have exclusive products, or products that we either pre-launch before everybody else, product that is specifically designed for us, product that is co-designed by uh, for us, or product that is entirely designed by us, mm-hmm. and uh, branded Heist and Body, um, and. I think the the really big key and and the the piece that got everybody very excited to actually be working with us across commerce is the idea that it's entirely content driven. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, really, truly bringing together content and commerce like it's never been done before. Um, that's at least the the mission that mm-hmm. we have uh, for that part of our business um, is what most what convinces most brands to really come on board. And um, I think it ultimately has to do with um, with the fact that. They either don't have the time, expertise, or space to actually really tell the stories behind their products. There's a lot of you know great innovation happening in the products. There's uh, there's you know heritage in certain products. There is just great stories around these products, and and those stories our audience is extremely hungry for. And so you know we can tell them. We know how to tell them, and we also give them the space that they deserve. Right. Ultimately, on our yeah. channels. Yeah, and
0: and you guys would know more than anyone how just. You know, important that exclusive angle is that that drop model and how much buzz that can drive for for audiences. Totally. Uh, so, so your first partner was Prada, correct? And like, how did that partnership come together? Like, it almost sounds like your your mission was to identify the. The weaker spots that the brands are are almost struggling with with this audience, um, and and basically say we can we can fill this gap, we can we can help, and and how that's how this partnership will come together. And so, what were those conversations like early on with with Prada around that?
1: I'm not so sure. It's you know it's us looking for a weak spot on the brand side, but more so looking for a gap in the market and consumer demand mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, or, uh, our audience, the community that that we're a part of, is so hungry for the stories that are associated with these products, or the products are as uh, you know demand uh, have so much demand because of the stories. Ultimately, that you know that's around them, and um, the product case wasn't uh, was an interesting one because I mean obviously we want to go to market with something you know that would turn heads in in some ways, and you know the. We really wanted, you know, in terms of curation of what we're doing in commerce, we re- truly want it to be um, matching what you see on our site. You know, so we want we want our community to see a little cool T-shirt brand that you know exists since four weeks, mm-hmm. and we want them to see Prada and everything in between. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so we really try to curate it in a way that perfectly matches, you know, the 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 website, the, our channels, and you know what people have come to you know expect from us in many ways and uh, i think prada was great because i think a lot of people would have expected us to go to market with a sneaker or or go to market with a streetwear brand and so uh, we immediately wanted to kind of establish this idea that it'll be a lot more than that mm-hmm. and so uh, so that's why we decided that luxury would be a great place for us to start and then prada specifically was a great place for us to start because of how they um, almost you know invented athleisure and uh, and sports were in luxury in the 90s when they originally came out with their linea rossa mm-hmm. and so yeah so it was it was really in, in that sense a dream partnership uh, because we went to them and we said we would like to launch with you and we would like to launch with linea rossa and that's ultimately what uh, what it ended up being mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that was that was really exciting.
0: From your audience perspective, how have you watched this? Uh, I would say you know ongoing convergence between streetwear and luxury. Like, where does that audience and consumer interest come from? What opportunities? You know, obviously this led to one particular opportunity, but but how did? Did you see yourselves as being positioned right to to tell that story? Because I think that, you know, especially from like the outsider position, someone who's not as ingrained in the streetwear community, like it's you know it's hard to to define exactly what has brought these two uh, categories together. Um, so how do you see yourselves as as sort of sitting in the middle of that?
1: I mean, for us, it's always been a very natural mix. So this idea of luxury and streetwear coming together is is something that we've been reporting on, monitoring, and that we've been an active part of for, I would say, literally 14 years. You know, if you, if you came to hire somebody 12 years ago, you would see in our feed a Nike sneaker an obscure Japanese streetwear brand and a Louis Vuitton bag mm-hmm. so uh, you know and i think it you know it, it comes it came naturally to us also because on one hand we were covering topics that were extremely popular or at that time mostly popular in the united states but then at the same time you know i have a european background and so you know having a fashion interest in europe ultimately means being interested in luxury fashion and so i think you know we always live that in many ways and then uh you know from, from the first day Heist Nobody covered premium streetwear, right? There was this this fashion which originally came from uh, from skateboarding, and then got elevated. You know, got you know. Th- suddenly, people cared about the fit, the quality of the product, how it's made. So that was that was a completely new idea, and that was that first wave that got me so hooked and uh, and uh, excited about this market. And you know, and that trend really continued. You know, so streetwear continued uh, to to become more premium, to become more expensive. At the same time, luxury realized that they're in, a, in desperate need to also speak to a younger audience. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, we arrived at this point where uh, kids are paying five hundred or thousand dollars on the secondary market for sneakers. They're paying three, four, five hundred dollars for a hoodie from a cool Japanese brand. And I think that's when luxury kind of realized, oh, shit, you know, these guys are actually paying our pricing mm-hmm. for these products. Which means that we could actually cater to that consumer as well, mm-hmm. and price doesn't seem to be a barrier anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's when luxury suddenly started re- truly embracing the market more and started catering to the market with products that you know the streetwear market was. Kind of founded on, you know. So suddenly you saw hoodies and graphic T-shirts. You know, in 2008, nine, uh, Ricardo Tisci, you know, came with these Rottweiler T-shirts and uh, and tr- truly brought, you know, graphics and and hip hop culture and all these things that you know luxury was kind of reluctant to to touch in the past. You know, just started embracing it, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think with that the consumer, you know, also embraced it. Then mm-hmm. over time, and uh, obviously as always, today it feels like it happened overnight. Um, but it didn't. But it didn't. <laughs> the roots were being it laid of course, a long time ago. It of course didn't, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, we, uh, fun fact: we checked when uh, when Virgil Abloh was um, um, when he became the creative director of Louis Vuitton. We checked when we covered him the first time on the page, and it was pretty much uh, by the day ten years earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, wow. so it's <laughs> uh, you know, so even even that, and and it's still you know an incredible achievement to go from. You know, not being a designer or a creative that anybody knows, to being the creative director for one of the you know most important luxury brands in the world, mm-hmm. um, but it still took ten years. You know, it, it, it did not happen overnight.
0: Right to come in full force and, and have it be felt throughout the yeah. industry. So, what did you learn from from the Prada partnership as to how your e-commerce play would would work and like that brand relationship, like anything unexpected, uh, you know, nothing about Prada specifically, but I imagine that there could be a tendency within legacy brands to think that they, you know, are all in on something. And then, but, you know, sometimes the work to actually back it up isn't always there. So how did you, how did you work through any sort of, uh, you know, Challenges, or, or just making sure that because you're going all in on, on e-commerce, that those those partnerships could back it up, because you know there there will be you know high snobity designed and, and branded products, but a lot of this seems to you know only succeed as so much as um, you know the brands that you're working with have the same vision.
1: I mean, we we, we need both to work, right? We need uh, to become product experts ourselves, mm-hmm. um, but um, I mean, in terms of uh, you know quantity of releases. You know, we will always have more third-party releases than we will have our own. And, um, I mean, you know, the learning curve is extremely steep right now. We're still quite frankly in the process of even understanding who our commerce consumer is and uh, as you can imagine we had Prada as a first, part- first partnership then we had Stranger Things now as a second mm. uh, Stranger Things it was a collection that we designed and produced ourselves completely different price range and so um, so we're catering into different buckets of our audience at the moment mm-hmm. and so it'll be interesting now for us to, to find out you know once we've had a a few luxury drops, a few more streetwear led drops, a few footwear drops. You know, I think that's when we can draw many more conclusions. What was interesting with Prada was um, the success of the content in many ways. You know, so we um, we produced a, a lot of you know teasers and editorials that would you know connect our audience with the product, and you know so you know produce things such as. Um, you know, how Prada invented sportswear, uh, the intersection of 90s sportswear and hip-hop culture. We uh, we were the first to actually go into the Prada factory to show how Linea Rossa is actually being produced in Italy. And uh, so, you know, it was incredible to see how the content that we produced as part of this product partnership uh, got—I think it was in the end—twenty-two million impressions. Mm. So, um, so that was uh, that was uh, quite amazing. And and what was also quite nice was you know because obviously, a lot of um, a lot of the interaction and the engagement that happens with our content happens today on social. In this case, we had almost fifty-fifty of the impressions happening on our page uh, versus social media, and uh, for the most part, Instagram, of course,
0: right. And that's good for you guys for the yeah, media business. Yeah, that's uh,
1: that's <laughs> fantastic. And so so that was that was uh, that was the first big success for us, right? Because I mean, the thesis of our move into commerce is that um, that we convert through content, mm-hmm. right? So when uh, a retailer, you know, spends money with Google AdWords to to uh, get uh, to get people over to their side we pay with an instagram post you know with a video mm-hmm. with a story right and so uh, so it's been great to see that that works the other thing that's been really great you know the the product collection that we uh, launched was not was it wasn't even just luxury it was very expensive you know it was uh, you know i mean even you know at gucci you can buy a 500 dollar sneaker here we're talking 800 dollar sneakers 1000 dollar leggings 800 dollar t-shirts mm-hmm. 2000 dollar jackets you know so it was you know, in terms of pricing, it was very you know very high priced um, price range. It was great to see that we had uh, a medium basket value of uh, over eight hundred dollars. We had baskets of up to three thousand dollars. So just seeing our audience, first of all, comfortable to shop with us, comfortable to shop with us in that price range. Uh, I think that was uh, that was the biggest success for us. You know, right. and uh, and and seeing that you know we can actually bring this level of product. To our uh, to our commerce offering, and also be successful with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did it sell? Did it sell out?
1: It uh, sold really well. So uh, some pieces sold out, others not. But uh, but the strong ones uh, sold out uh, right on the first day. And um, no, it was uh, it was really great to watch. Mm-hmm.
0: So were you able to watch like and you know basically analyze what? drove those purchases. I know for a lot of brands, you figuring out attribution is, is pretty difficult uh, because there are a lot of different touch points. If you see something on Facebook, Instagram, you might go convert later. Uh, you know, having that that type of skill set to understand what's driving purchases, especially with such a strong content side that's, that's driving attention and, and impressions for the collection. Um, you know, how did you basically put on your data analytics had and, and watch, uh, you know, what was driving conversions and, and especially use that for for new product launches down the line.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, ultimately, all these launches that we're doing now in the first months are, you know, trial and error. So it's all about learning, you know, what uh, Instagram post has the most impact, what Instagram story does the most for us, what com post drives the most. And so um, it's at this stage, it's still quite complicated for us to draw a lot of conclusions. I mean, we know it's a small,
0: that... a small data set right now.
1: Exactly. It's a small data set, but um, I mean, we know that Instagram is a massive driver for us. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a fact. That's what we have learned now already uh, with the first uh, few drops and, and not just in terms of impressions on content, but literally, you know, in terms of conversion uh, to sales. Mm-hmm. So we see an immediate effect. I mean, the minute a post goes up, you know, there are sales, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's... Um, that's uh, already pretty great. Uh, and then it's really a lot of trial and error you know so we're trying you know what uh, you know with stranger things for example, there was our stranger things campaign but then of course there were a lot of other things happening you know around the launch other brands that teamed up with stranger things um, or you know new trailers or fun facts and so on and so forth you know so we so we also tried you know how can we you know get our shopping into, other Stranger Things content and how does that potentially, you know, drive sales? You know, so so there's been um, you know a lot of trials there, and uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, it, it's still, I mean, most things are still quite hard to conclude on, mm-hmm. um, but um, but what's great is you know we we you know we see a true effect of content on uh, on the sales, uh, which is uh, which is really nice, and the audience also enjoys the content that comes from it. You know, so they're not. Tired to hear a little more often about these things uh, because obviously, I mean, that's what it takes. You know, we can't uh, just post once and then, you know, uh, half of the world uh, right. uh, um, no, start shopping. Yeah. So we kind of <laughs> got to keep at it. And it's really about also, you know, us figuring out now this perfect timeline almost you know like when you start teasing how much do you tease Mm -hmm. when you start unveiling you know for example one learning we had between Prada and Stranger Things was that um you know we we drove too much traffic uh before Prada even launched Mm -hmm. right so there was you know the videos the factory visits and all that so all of that happened prior to the product even being available or what we also learned was that we didn't show the product before it came out Mm -hmm specific like we showed it uh, in lookbooks and videos but we didn't show straight up this is what we're going to sell this is what it's going to cost and especially if you're thinking about spending $2000 on the jacket you probably think about it 24 hours right. you know you're not just like mm, okay you know like it's <laughs> it's not as much of an impulse buy as uh, a $60 stranger things t-shirt maybe mm-hmm. right. and so um, so it's a lot of small learnings like that, you know. And uh, but but yeah, I mean, early learning is that Instagram and the newsletter, you know. So the most engaged part of our audience is also the one that chops the most.
0: Right, I'm sure. Support for today's episode comes from Sweaty Betty and its power leggings. The I can do anything squat-proof leggings that feel just like a second skin. The design team behind these leggings is all female, which means they ensure these leggings fit perfectly and flatter the female form. Plus, all of Sweaty Betty's products are trialed by female staff to ensure they perform to the highest standard. If they don't like it, it doesn't get made. Right now, you can try your first pair of power leggings for 20% off when you go to sweatybetty.com and use the code glossy. Once again, that's sweatybetty.com and use the code glossy. Now back to the episode. So having the perspective that you have covering the streetwear industry, the fashion industry for so long, you mentioned, you know, you weren't trying to be a multi-brand retailer. You weren't trying to be like a a true direct-to-consumer play for, you know, any specific brand. So- what cues did you take from what's working in the industry, um, you know, from the brands that High that Stembody has covered in order to shape like, OK, here's what will resonate, um, particularly looking at the direct to consumer category, because you hear, you know, the words like audience and community. And I think now brands are particularly realizing that that organic audience uh, is, is really what's going to separate it from, you know, the myriad brands that you see on Instagram. And so looking into, you know, what, what's best commerce strategies work today? What, what conclusions did you come to and realize like, okay, this is going to be our sweet spot?
1: I mean, to be honest, we didn't even look that much at what others were doing because, I mean, for the most part, others are just doing retail. Mm -hmm. I mean, there isn't, um, you know, then it's, uh, you know, it's a different buy, a different product mix, a different brand mix. Some have, you know, Mr. Porter has a a little bit more content. My Theresa has a bit less content. Some focus more on the tech side of things. Others, you know. You know, do do a bit more content. I mean, we knew that we needed to do something that is content led because that's that's where we come from. That's mm-hmm. um, that's what we're, we've become known for. That's our expertise. And at the same time, you know, from the brands that we cover, I mean, in many ways, uh, you know. We've covered from day one brands that did drops, brands that did you know played with 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 perceived exclusivity mm. that played with demand and supply. Uh, you know, and uh, you know so the supremes of the world, uh, you know, that got it from Japan, you know, so so we were covering Japanese brands for for fourteen years now that you know released their collections through weekly releases rather than you know releasing them in one go uh, every season. So, I feel like, you know, in many ways the model that we chose is just 100% true to who we've always been mm-hmm. or to the market that we've always covered mm-hmm. and, um, and, and of course, also to the way that we produce and release information to our audience, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, I mean, our model is, of course, um, extremely well-suited, you know, to also be adapted to selling on Instagram, to selling on Facebook, to selling on Snapchat, you know, because we're not operating in this always-on mentality, but Rather you know uh, coming in doses to the market with exciting product that drum up a lot of attention and so uh, you know so you know the, the idea really is for us you know to to really figure out who our shopper is to really figure out and 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 we'll have different types of shoppers you know we have 30 percent women on the side that also shop with us you know so what are we gonna do to cater to the 30 percent women that we have on the side how are we going to cater to the sneaker hat? how do we cater to the guy that you know sits at the intersection of, uh, of uh, streetwear and luxury, and you know. Then I also foresee our uh, our commerce model to to really become a multi platform model. Mm. How do you mean? You know, so you know, we specifically built on the technology side um, something that allows us. You know, it's a, it's an API driven. Um, uh, model and it allows us to essentially show up with product wherever we want to if we want to sell something on whatsapp then our back end allows us to do so you know mm-hmm. so why should we not have i don't know a sneaker store just on whatsapp mm-hmm. you know why not have something else live just on instagram and so um so you know we we want to be extremely dynamic and uh and also extremely flexible in how we operate and then uh and then really then build out these shopping personas and then cater to these different personas in different ways right. in the future.
0: Right. And so it kind of eliminates that that pull that a lot of brands struggle with in that, you know, how do we drive people to the site? Like, you know, getting, getting people to to land on a page and then convert is, is probably like one of the hardest parts if you can be wherever the audience is for a specific product that's so sounds like a, like a good setup. Um, so you, obviously we talked about how just logistics intensive a retail business is. And, you know, I definitely want to get into that. And because I think a lot of, you know, I, you know, we've covered content and commerce for a long time. And I think a lot of ways that uh, media companies get tripped up is because you have to run two businesses simultaneously, uh, which, which obviously isn't easy. But for this category in particular, it seems like one of the hardest parts to nail would be that like, Almost undefinable desirability. Um, just you know, knowing what's really going to have that ripple effect have to have it. Uh, you know, thing that you can't really teach or plan for every single time. So, particularly with like your the design team that you were mentioning, and you know what you're wanting from the the brands and and companies that you're partnering with. Like, how do you work towards something that's basically impossible to capture?
1: I mean, I think that's probably going to be part of the of the learning curve in the next few months. Uh, truly understanding, you know, what what sells the best, what you know, do we need more, of, what do we need less, what price points are the sweet spot for us? You know, we we of course have some level of learning from our affiliate business. You know, we we scaled affiliate very successfully over the last two th- two to three years, uh, especially you not. Know, Seven-figure business for us today, and so we have some, you know, some level of data that you know shows us, you know, what categories, what price points, you know, our audience most engages with and uh, and shops with them. So that's what what today informs, you know, how we build these collections, um, how we do our buys with brands, but it's still somewhat a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so you know that that's really what we have to learn, and that's I, I guess the magic in the model to really understand. Where can you go deep, or where can you not? And you know, because ultimately for us, you know, sell through is one of the main, uh, you know, one of the most important things that we measure. Mm-hmm. You know, sell through and speed to sell through, and so um, and so we spend a lot of time on understanding uh, the demand for things, and you know, to make sure that we never over deliver on that demand.
0: Right, especially for this for this audience, um, you know, it seems like it could be a tricky line to to walk um, or balance to strike, like as you're bringing in this this commerce side of the business, how do you make sure that the content doesn't like fully fall into this promotional, like almost, um, you know, retailer blog complement to the commerce business? Like right. having that that audience that trusts your opinion and the editor's opinions so, you know, as like, you know, an authority in the space, um, you know, as you introduce this, okay, we're we're in the commerce business now too. How do you maintain that trust?
1: It's, I mean, I think again, you know, I said this in the beginning. For us the move into commerce, you know, isn't nearly as weird as it may be for you know another technology or, or media company. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you're, I don't know, if you're uh, a Business Insider fan. And then suddenly, Business Insider tries to sell you a barbecue. You know, I think that's a lot more weird than us talking about T-shirts and then saying, "Hey, by the way, you can actually buy it here." Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, shopping has has always been an integral part of who we are, and uh, you know, our affiliate business was also one that focused on converting people into shopping. In this case, off-platform. Now we're doing a lot more on-platform, and uh, I think the funny thing in commerce right now is that we're almost overthinking the content. Right, so like we're we're producing these beautiful videos and we're producing you know these uh, you know in-depth editorials. So it's it's actually some of our most beautiful and premium content in many ways. And it's mm-hmm. not at all, yo, get these ten T-shirts now for twenty percent off. You know, mm-hmm. like so it's it's not salesy at all. And I think you know um, both on the content side and now also on the commerce side, we're ultimately our own customers. You know, so I think we we have a pretty good understanding as to you know uh, what's cool and what's not you know like where where may we be going too far where where do we become maybe too salesy and you know and where is it fine ultimately Mm -hmm. and um and also you know i mean from a from a structural perspective um you know it's completely separated Mm -hmm. you know so our brand partnerships business our commerce business and our editorial is completely separated from one another Mm -hmm. and um and I think, you know, that also kind of makes sure that we stay in tune.
0: Right. So so that main editorial team that has been, you know, writing for readers for a long time isn't now like working on that type of content
1: so there um, so the affiliate team will be working on content that is more you know uh, there's more you know targeted at you know around sales mm-hmm. so to speak and then the main editorial team only really comes into play when we're talking about pure editorial stories mm-hmm. such as you know the video you know which doesn't have to do with you know actual shopping mm-hmm. you know so um, so there's that uh, differentiation and then there's a also a very clear line between uh, brand partnerships in our media business and the commerce business to make sure that uh, that commerce doesn't become just another media product right. that we're selling to our existing customers. So we do have, you know, Prada is the best, uh, the best example actually. You know, so Prada would work with us on, you know, the new seasonal campaign or their new eyewear campaign, and then also work with us on commerce. So there's both, but it's not the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Got
0: it. Uh, and you know, when you look at this advantage it's almost like a leg up now to have that built in in audience once you're running a commerce company right now that's the pressure that we have right yeah yeah, the pressure too so so to that end uh you know how do you make sure that it's differentiated especially in that category where you know that that switch to to selling products isn't a stretch, you know. If 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 we were to start selling merch, I, you know, I don't know <laughs> if anyone would run to buy it. But what about like, how do you differentiate from Hypebeast? Like, what makes what makes your offering different from other streetwear uh, media companies in that in that same category who, who are probably identifying the same audiences?
1: I mean, I mean, first of all, the I mean, the model is completely different, right? So, um, so you mentioned Hypebeast. I mean, they operate with HBX more like a regular retailer that uh, buys, sells, goes on sale, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I think there. There's a very big differentiation right there, because you will just never come to us and see 10,000 products that are on sale at the same time. Right. Um, and then it's, uh, I think you know, it's taste level on um, in in some way. You know, so we of course you know try to also um, create a brand in what we buy you know so you know making sure that you know our european heritage uh, as well as our global you know uh, brand you know are are in tune and that we kind of build a brand also on that side you know so, so you kind of see things and you're like okay that's a high somebody type of thing you mm-hmm. know like that's what i would be expecting and buying from high Nobody. then i think the other big differentiator in the model is that uh, we're so involved on the product creation front so we uh, we collaborate ourselves with brands on products. We create our own private label product. You know, so we uh, we just hired um, a fashion designer that uh, that is in house as well now, and uh, so she'll be working on you know really creating. Uh, I think for uh, twenty twenty, we're now planning a monthly drop of our own products. You know, so there will be uh, you know qu- uh, quite a nice frequency on that front as well. So we're really building, you know. Um, Building high somebody into a physical brand in that sense itself, and then we're also doing other exciting things where we're putting together brand with talent to create a collection just for us, for mm-hmm. example. You know, so
0: exclusivity helps, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. So, um, so there's you know a lot of exclusivity uh, in the model and. Uh, and you know, I, th- I think you know, just us being so involved in every piece of it, rather than just walking into a showroom and buying something off the shelf, mm-hmm. I think uh, really does make also a huge difference. I'm sure.
0: Uh, so now it's you know you have like like I've like I've stressed it's like operating two sides of the business, and you mentioned the the capital that Heistomedi raised that, that was last year, right? Yeah. Um, and it was 8.5 million. Correct. Um. So, and that w- was that the first time that you. Yes. raised any money. Yeah. Uh, it's just like drill fire questions around this. Yeah. Uh, so with that, you know, new capital and how does that change? Like the, the pressures for you as you know, the CEO of the business, like, you know, we, we talked to a lot of direct to consumer brand founders that, that raise money, like the capital for these types of businesses is there, but for a retail operation, it, it you know, it, it makes that, you know, okay, you can kick profitability down the line. Like, how are you thinking about like the, the, um, you know, business side of the retail business in terms of how it is a revenue driver for Heistmedi overall like how you know how important to you is that this is a profitable side of the business considering you you do have that capital cushion
1: I mean the capital obviously helps us um because I mean you have to un- understand that obviously us moving into commerce is not something where we can just like show up and like try out and like yeah let's see let's just ship to you know let's just ship to Europe for the first six months then you know they, so we kind of had to show up right you know mm-hmm. so we had to you know great product great service global shipping these are all things if you talk to retail people you know that's that's when they you know, start getting big headaches you know like um, right, returns exactly, and everything like that exactly so um, so you know making sure that we can show up right that's what we needed capital for and mm-hmm. so uh, so that was great um, you know the, the partners that we chose are also experts specifically in this this field, and you know, in like uh, the
0: content and commerce field, mean, exactly.
1: You know, I mean, uh, they've uh, worked with Farfetch, with Goop, uh, and a few others in the past. So you know, there's a lot of knowledge already uh, there that, of course, helps us uh, very much too. And yeah, I mean, we we see commerce as a really big opportunity to become, uh, you know, our our second big revenue stream next to uh, the business we're in now, and you know, who knows, it may be bigger than our current revenue stream one day. Uh, that that we'll have to see, but uh, but it's it's a very big opportunity, and capital ultimately allows us to you know uh, maybe we're in our core model we want to be profitable. Mm-hmm. You know we can not be profitable on that side of the business uh, mm-hmm. for some time to you know tweak, uh, learn, iterate, and uh, and get it right, and for the most part of course scale. Right. So uh, that's kind
0: of one of the benefits of, of firing on absolutely. two cylinders. Uh, so yeah, I think that the DNA of a, of a company has to change once you once you have introduced this side of the business. And so, you know, what do you think it says about High Society as a media company? I know you guys have you know dabbled in like creative services, like using your your creative um, skill set and talent to work with brands a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, you know, how did you see commerce as an opportunity that could even that like superseded that one and now can even like you said rival the the main um, you know content side of the of the business? Like, are you having a little bit of an identity crisis? <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't think so at all. I mean, I, th- I mean, what I see in our team is that, I mean, more than anything, they're extremely excited because, um, you know, I said before that, you know, at the bottom of it all, we're product enthusiasts, you know, and uh, and so I think more than ever, we get to live that now, also through commerce, and, you know, the a lot of product ideas originate in the editorial team as well because they see what works on the editorial side or they see what what what's coming up. Uh, you know, what exciting new brands are arriving in the market. And so, you know, the editorial team, for example, is also very involved in that sense. You know, the brand marketing team is super involved as well. Our design team, so the Stranger Things collection was designed by our design team, not an, an apparel design team. Mm-hmm. It was designed by the same guys that designed the banners on the side. That and, I mean, if you if you imagine you know as a designer you know uh, today you're designing uh, a picture a banner the layout of a par- parallax page and now we're coming like yeah now you're allowed to design the new stranger things collection for mm-hmm. us you know so there's a lot of enthusiasm in the team because it's it's new challenges and and there is something beautiful about real product mm-hmm. like physical product, you know, being uh, being able to create something and then, you know, a few weeks or a few months later you actually hold it in your hand or you wear it or you see somebody else wear it. That's, um, it's, it's a, unfortunately still a different level of, you know, engagement in a way or a different level of joy that you get from that than from something that just exists digitally Mm -hmm. and so um, so you know I think I think that's why ultimately really our entire company is very enthusiastic about our move into commerce and about you know being able to be involved on some level in it as well you know I mean our Events team gets you know because some some of our launches will also have pop up stores that come with them so our events team gets involved and then you know so it's um, it's very cool because it's it almost feels like it's more high Heisenberg brand marketing than it's us marketing others mm-hmm. which is what the majority of our business today is right. right so you know where you always just care about okay does does nike sell out does adidas sell out you know does the consumer like that brand's event that we just put on mm-hmm. and here it's it's all about us and our brand and seeing that grow and um Uh, I think it's it's far more exciting,
0: and I'm. I assume the hope is that that enthusiasm then translates to the audience and and is felt. Correct. Uh, So you know, and I mean, mean,
1: sorry if I may add. I mean, in many ways, you know, um, our team is our consumer as well. You know, so you know, it's it's, you know us seeing that they're enthusiastic about the product or that they're shopping the product themselves. You know, that's almost a first great sign that we're on the right path.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we think a lot about like defensible moats, um, especially on the brand side today, because there's so much competition in the in the direct-to-consumer startup space, the multi-brand retail space online, uh, just standing out is, is really difficult. And so when you co- sort of like take these like two sides of the brain right now, like the state of media, the state of, of fashion and, and consumer, how do you join those together and think about like where, where highest nobody sits, the, the potential there, and just also like how this is almost defining a new type of you know, take on on this content and commerce conversation that we've been all, you know, beating over the head with, and and so far, like, haven't seen that much success come out of it. Unless you're actually thinking almost on, I feel like the brands have kind of done a better job of of uniting content and commerce so far than than media public uh, media companies have.
1: Sure, I mean, I think, I mean, ultimately, the benefit um, that we have is that. Brands know us now since 14 years, you know, so we're not uh, coming to them and telling them about exclusive product and collaborations and drop models and, and they're like, hmm, why are you suddenly dabbling in that space, you know? A lot of them have learned it through us, you know, by watching us cover the space that we're in. And so um, the the pitch to the brand is actually reasonably easy. You know, and in, in many cases, not all the time, but in many cases, they're already working with us. They've seen that our content works, that our content drives sales, that our content meets their standards, their quality standards. You know, and so, you know, kind of making making that bridge over to commerce isn't actually that, that hard for them. And we... Uh, thankfully, don't have to prove ourselves that much, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, And now it's, of course, getting even easier because they're actually seeing us do it, you know. So for the last 12 months, we've just been talking about something that we're doing, and now they they saw Prada, they saw Stranger Things. You know, we can show them a very robust pipeline um, of, uh, of brands coming on board between now and the end of the year and, and, also, and already in 2020. And, uh, and I think that shows them, okay, Okay, if all these guys are already working with them, and and after seeing what they're doing now, so you know, I'm quite thankful actually for the fact that we didn't have to prove ourselves that much, you know, because the model that we chose feels very organic to who we are as a brand and to the market that we that we come from, in many ways. Mm
0: -hmm. And it was about waiting to the right time.
1: Correct, and it's and I think the timing was was also right because, I mean, I'm quite sure that if we would have gone to market with this three years ago there would have been a lot more question marks Mm -hmm. you know so i think now that there is this kind of mass market understanding for what supreme is and how supreme operates and you know having seen supreme or louis vuitton work with supreme you know so so some very big cosigns uh to to the brands and the market that we're in you know Mm -hmm. i think everybody's just a whole lot less scared Mm -hmm. of you know Mm -hmm. Uh, of what's to come you know it was kind of like oh shit louis, louis vuitton is still doing well it's still a luxury brand it, yeah, it supreme the, did not ruin them <laughs> streetwear did not ruin them you know mm-hmm. so i think um you know i think as a as a modern brand um you need to be able to stretch yourselves across different audiences you know i think uh, i mean gucci is a fantastic um case there as well you know they still have the 55 year old that buys the Gucci bag but now they also have the 18 year old that buys the a sneaker and uh, and that buys the backpack or something else and um, and for many brands we are the gateway there mm-hmm. you know so we we can support them in getting to that consumer either through content or now also directly through commerce and uh, and they understand that and uh, thankfully they, they're excited to uh, to make that step with us.
0: Right. And it seems like people are now much more open-minded to new types of retail business models. Um, so we're, we're almost out of time. But, uh, you know, just over the years at, at Heistamati, would you consider this like the biggest bet that you guys have made business-wise?
1: I mean, it definitely is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the biggest investment we've ever made into our business. It's uh, the biggest bet uh, as well. Um, but uh, again, you know, it feels it feels so organic to who we are and to what we've built over the last fourteen years. So, so I, n- I know it'll work, but you know, I'm not sure yet if we're there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, it's it's really all about you know uh, learning, understanding you know better who our customer is, you know how we can convert our existing audience into shoppers, but uh, but it j- it just feels very right, and um, and so we're very very excited to for what's to come.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much, David. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited-time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code INTRO at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.